0: Uh, we love to watch movies at our house. We have a great time just hanging out and, and putting something on. And it's always interesting to watch different actions of our kids. Um, Brynn is the one who pretty much you can't get her attention for anything. Like the fire could be burning the house down and she'd still be sitting there just like, just watching the screen, just enthralled with what's going on. She just can't get her attention. I have to call her name like 10 times and she finally will look. Uh, Cade, has, since he's a little boy, has always done this thing. When he's really intrigued by something, he turns his head this way and he looks at one eye, out of one eye and then he kind of just keeps his eye, eye focused and he kind of just cocks his head back and forth and he's just trying to figure stuff out and he's looking. And there's Landon who asks a million questions. It's everything. What him name is? What him name is? What him name is? Why he do that? And he just goes on and on and on, just the entire movie. And by the end of the movie, you're just like, I can't handle another question because you're just exhausted and worn down. Uh, he was over at the Lucci's one day and uh, Marie was watching him, but Joey was home and so Landon said, let's watch Star Wars. And so they went and they put Star Wars on. And Joey told me he asked every single character's name of the movie. New guy came on, asked him. And by the end of the movie, he realized that Landon knew all the names and he was really testing Joey, right? <laughs> so he is just going to ask question after question. Well, when we think about asking a lot of questions, um, when we talk about what Pastor's been talking about for the past month now, the ashes in our lives, the, the suffering, the trial, the trouble, the hurt, the pain, uh, we come up with a lot, of, a lot of questions, don't we? We tend to ask a lot of different questions about the, the things that are happening in our lives and, and we're trying to wrap our minds around them. And Pastor, we're doing a great job with this series and so I just wanna to continue to talk about this today and really what I wanna do is I just wanna ask two questions that I think we normally ask when we suffer, when there's ashes in our lives, when there are trials and hardship and suffering. I wanna ask the two questions that I think you ask the most. Um, the first question is this. Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? You know, the, this, this issue is, has happened in my life. And, and I think what we tend to do is we, we come up pretty quickly with an answer usually. We, we, we tend to look at a person or we tend to look at our circumstance and say, well, that's where it's coming from. And, and the thing is, is we're always looking uh, on the natural we're always looking at a person, you know, if it's a relationship issue, well, this is, where is this coming from? It's coming from my wife, or it's coming from my husband, or it's coming from my kids, or it's coming from my boss, or that relationship. I can see very clearly where this is coming from. If it's a a financial situation. Well, obviously, it's a money deal, so we blame it on the economy, right? Or, or whatever. And we, we tend to look around. We tend to look for this natural answer. Where is this coming from? That's where it's coming from. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my attention there and, and kind of my blame there and, and even some anger there or some resentment there. But what if that's not the entire picture? What if there's another reason this ash or this trial or this suffering could be in our life right now. I think the other question we ask, and probably the biggest one everybody asks, is really why? Right? Why? Why is this happening? And I, I think the way that we kind of can put it is, is there a so that? You know what I mean? Is there a so that? In other words, this happened so that this could be the outcome. Or is all suffering and all trial and all the ashes of our life, are they just simply random? You know, or is there is there an answer beyond this just happened to you? Is there an answer beyond, well, I'm sorry. This is what happened at work or this is what happened at home or this is what happened with your illness or whatever that thing might be that's kind of hanging over your life. And we say, why, why? So, so where is this coming from and, and why is this happening or, or is there a so that? Uh, several months ago, I got to do a series at Collision called Hardship. And to, this morning, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a launching pad off of what we talked about there. But then I want to take it to a different place and really get specific. So this is not the hardship you know messages reworked it's really kind of a similar foundation and then some some deeper application and and some understanding and truth of what we can find out of all this but i think it's so important that we talk about it because when we get into these ash type situations into these trial type situations so often as we look around and we play the blame game or we ask this question of why and everything seems so meaningless we really get stuck you know we really get stuck in our anger, we get stuck in just, you know, beating our head against the wall, feeling like the hamster in the cage, like we're just on this endless journey that's going nowhere and leading nowhere. And so uh, we kind of become miserable, don't we? Kind of come miserable to be around. We become miserable just in our own understanding of who we are and of life. We're just like, man, this is just, this is just terrible. And I see no good. I see no purpose. I, I just see people who have been out to hurt me or a situation that's been out to hurt me or damage me. And we can't really seem to wrap our minds around anything beyond what we sort of see right here and right now, which is, is, you know, in some ways it makes sense because we see this right here and right now. It's right in front of us, you know. It's got my blaring attention. I see a person who's after me. I see a boss who's after me. I see coworkers who are after me. I see a family member who's after me. Or I see a sickness that's after me. Or I see unemployment or financial situation that's after me. And so this is what I'm seeing. And so this is all there is. And I just think that we have to talk about maybe the fact there's a lot more to it than we're understanding at this point. So if you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. We're really glad you came, and and it's great that you're here for a series like this, because if somebody were to ask, why don't you believe in God, the most frequent answer that comes back is because of pain and suffering. That's just reality. That's just the truth. The stats are out. That's the most uh, brought back answer. Why don't you believe in God? Because of pain and suffering. How could a good God allow what I've been through in life or what others have been through that I've seen go through stuff. And so it's great that you're here because I hope today maybe uh, you'll have some questions answered along with the rest of us. So let's talk about uh, question number one. We're going to find our answers to both questions in the same portion of scripture in Hebrews 12 today. And um, question number one, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? What, is, this, is it just a person? Is it just my boss? Is it just my spouse? Is it just this issue? Or is there more behind the scenes? And so let's look at Hebrews 12 verse 5 says this, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now Paul is actually quoting a a proverb right here, okay? And as we look at that, we kind of go, okay, I, I see what it's saying. I see it saying that when God disciplines me, I should accept it, and I should realize he's loving, and I should realize it's for my good. But here, here's the question that comes into my mind as I see that verse. How do I know when he's disciplining me? You know, Because we all go through hard stuff. So how do I know when it's discipline, how do I know when it's just my boss is a jerk? right? How, how do I know when it's discipline, and how do I know when, wow, we're in a rough economy? How do I know the difference? Because if I know it's discipline, then I'll submit to it. I'll go, okay, God, I trust you. I've been here before. I've seen you brought me through stuff in the past. I'll I'll trust you. But how do I know when that is? And then Paul helps us incredibly here. And man, if we could just catch what the next portion of the next verse is gonna say, I think it could change a lot for us. He says this. He says, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. So Paul, what are you saying right now? You know what Paul's saying? He's saying whenever you go through hardship, just see it as discipline. He he doesn't differentiate. He doesn't go, okay, when your boss does this, that's discipline, or or when you go through that, that's discipline, or when you get sick, or finances, or that's discipline. But this isn't, no, what he says is, is so powerful. He says no matter what hardship comes into your life, no matter what it looks like, what shape or form it takes, see it as not hurt coming from him or anger coming from her or just a random sickness or a random financial issue. No, see it as discipline. So, so really what he's saying up front is change your view. Like when you go through something hard, don't look around and begin to say, oh, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's the economy's fault, it's this person's fault. No, no, if any amount of hardship comes into our lives, we actually, we look up. We go, okay maybe I didn't see this coming and maybe I don't get it yet, but rather than just seeing it as coming from the people around me, I'm actually going to look at God and say, okay, I'm going to see this as coming from you. Now, some of you are freaking out. You're ready to start stoning me and throwing things at me because you just can't see how that could be right. But let's continue on here. Um, Charles Stanley, who's a pastor, if you're, if you're a Christian, you've probably heard that name or you've heard of his son, Annie Stanley. And, and Charles Stanley has, um, I mean, just ministry all around the world, and. I was watching uh, an interview with him recently, and something was so powerful that he said. Um, when you're in ministry, uh, it's really hard sometimes. There are great seasons. Right now, I feel like I'm in a great season of ministry. I feel encouraged. I feel like ready to go. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just feel like giving up. You feel like everybody hates you. You just don't want to even get up and ever speak again or ever show your face again. And, and I can only imagine a guy who's on TV and the radio and broadcast all around the world it just magnifies the problems, okay? And so here's a guy who's been through so much, uh, literally was punched in the face in a, in a the church staff meeting once, that tells you how church life can get sometimes, thank God, never happened here. But literally punched in the face in a deacon meeting, I think it was, um, just gone through some horrible things in his life because of being a pastor. And you know what he said? He said, because somebody asked him about going through all that, and how do you handle it? And you know what he said so powerfully? He said, several years ago, I felt like God just spoke to my heart. And he said this, he said, no matter what anybody does to you, no matter what anybody says about you, no matter how they you know, gossip about you or tear you apart or try to kick you out of the church, no matter what they do, he said, see it as coming from me. See it as coming from me. See it as something that I'm over, I'm in control of, and I'm allowing in your life for a reason. Isn't that exactly what Paul's saying? Endure hardship as discipline. No matter what it is, see it as coming from God for a purpose. Rick Warren says this. He says, God has a purpose behind every problem. A purpose behind every problem. See, I think so often we're always pushing back at the problems. We're just trying to put the fire out, right? What if God is trying to do something very different with these ashes in our lives? Now, some of you guys have a pit in your stomach right now because you're thinking this. Doug, what good does it do to look at the hardship in my life, or the trial in my life, or the ashes in my life, and instead of blaming a person, now blame God? How does that help? That just makes the problem worse. I was blaming my spouse, now I'm blaming God, and I'm angry at him. How does this help? How does this work in any way? Why, why is this good news this morning, that I should stop looking around and change my view and look at God? Well, look at the next verse. It says this, the, rest, the next part of verse seven says, God is treating you as sons, God's treating you as sons. This this hardship, this discipline that comes, God, God's not out to destroy you. He's treating you as a son. Now, for some of us, that breaks down a little bit because of our relationship with our earthly father. And Paul's actually going to address that in a minute. So, you know, hang in there with me. But what Paul is saying here is so powerful. He's going, look, God's looking at you not as this object of his anger. He's looking at you as his child. As his son, and he's a good dad. Some of you have not had good dads. And again, so this starts to break down, but, but this is a good dad looking at a son, looking at a daughter, saying, I want the best for you. I, I'm, I, I've, yes, I, I'm, I've got you in a season of discipline right now. And, and you guys understand, it, if, you're, if you're a parent, discipline isn't always uh, a response to someone doing something wrong. Like, we gotta understand that up front, right? Sometimes it is, right? Kate, you know, stop hitting your sister with the Barbie doll. Okay, that's, that's response to something wrong. But sometimes it's just, all right, bud, we got to get to bed. We got to get to bed because you got school in the morning. Right, that's, that's a form of discipline, right? I'm gonna help discipline them and get them in back in the next few weeks. Gotta get them back into the swing of things, getting up early, going to bed a little, uh, going to bed a little earlier. That's a form of, of discipline or, or, or you know, like as we discipline ourselves with what we eat or exercise or all these different kinds of things. So the discipline isn't always a response to you being in a, in a, in a bad place. It's just God looking at you or I and saying, I'm working on something here. I, I'm trying to mold your heart a certain way And so rather than seeing it as coming from your boss or your spouse or the financial economic times we're in, see it as a situation that I'm going to use for your good. So that helps me a ton. That helps me a ton. Because now instead of being mad at this person or that person and carrying bitterness and a resentment in my heart, I can go, wait a minute. I'm I'm God's child and he's out for my good. And so I'm going to endure this ash in my life. These ashes right now, these trials, these struggles, as as discipline from a loving God. How, how How does this help? It helps because we know something about God. We know something about God. We know this. We know that ultimately he is out for our good. Ultimately he's out for our good. And so I think we do this all the time. Don't you do this? Somebody comes up to you and they give you some kind of feedback and there's someone that you really can't stand. You know they can't stand you and they don't have your best in mind. So what do you do with that feedback? You throw it out. But what do you do with feedback from somebody that you know has your best in mind, and they come up to you and they say something real hard. You go, wow. Okay, apparently I needed to hear that. And because I know you have my best in mind, you have my good in mind, then I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it rather than just throw it away and get angry, you know. So if I get some kind of email, Doug, you're a horrible speaker, never get on the stage again, you know, God's not using you, you're, you know, this and that. That, that, that's one thing. I'm just going to throw that out. But if my wife comes to me or somebody on staff comes to me and says, Doug, I got to tell you, man, your message lately, just, just work a little harder on it or be praying more that God would lead and direct you. It's felt a little dry. It's felt like it's just falling to the ground a little bit. I'm not going to take that as an insult. Why? Because I know that they're out for my good. I'm going to endure that hardship. That's going to be a hard thing for me to hear, but I'm going to endure it as discipline. Okay, I needed to hear that and I need to move forward now. And so we change our view all the time. We we. we Give certain people permission to speak into our lives, even if it's hard. And that's exactly what I'm saying here. So often we're looking around at people and circumstances who are trying to hurt us and they're out for our bad, and, and yet here's God saying, wait, wait, endure this as coming from me. I'm out for your good. And so don't run from it. And don't get angry at me or at those around you or at the people in your life that you think have caused this, but actually look Look at something different, which we're going to get to in a second. But he says the next part, for what son is not disciplined by his father? And listen to this, verse 8. You know, for, for those of us who think that when you come to Jesus, everything's supposed to go good, look what he says. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. All right? So for those of us who think that when we come to Christ, everything's just supposed to be perfect, Really what he's saying here is, is if you're not going through hardship at some points in your life or another, then you're not being disciplined, which means you're not really a child of God. And so that's really the opposite of what we so often hear. But look at verse 9. He says, Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. But how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? So he's going, look, we've all had earthly dads who have disciplined us. How much more can we trust That when we're being disciplined by our Father in heaven, who's out for our good, that everything is for a purpose. Everything is for a reason. That it's going to come together. Verse 10, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. And I think Paul addresses here those of us in the room who have had uh, bad dads, who have had rough situations with our fathers. He's going, look, we've had earthly fathers. They did their best. Right or wrong, they did their best. But then look what he says in the next part. He says, but, okay, so maybe our fathers didn't do the greatest job, but God disciplines us for our good. Even if our earthly fathers didn't discipline us for our good, even if they were angry and they, they did things they never should have done, he's saying, look, I want to com- contrast this. Our earthly fathers may have screwed up, but God disciplines us for our good. And remember, when we see that word discipline, we have to think of the word hardship. So the hardship that we go through is for our good. Good. So I hope the question number one has been answered for you. Where's this coming from? Well, maybe it's an attack of the enemy. Maybe it's a person in your life who's treating you horribly. Maybe it's a financial situation because of the economy. But we got to realize God's over all those things. God's over Satan. God's over the people in your life. God's over the economy. And so if there's something that's coming to your life from my life, Paul's saying here, Don't just see it as the economy. See it as me. See it as me allowing this for a purpose and for a reason. Now, we're only halfway there. So again, you still want to throw rocks at me. Hang on, we're only halfway there. Is there a so that? Is there a why? All right, Doug, you're telling me we're to endure all things as this discipline from a loving God who's out for our good. What's the so that? What's the why? Why would he choose to do things this way? Well, The last line we just read was, but God disciplines us for our good. Look at the next line. That we may share in his holiness. Now, there are a billion reasons why God allows us to go through hardship. But we're gonna look at a few here that Paul names specifically. And one of them is that we may share in God's holiness. That we actually may be changed into what God is. God's different than us, right? Right? And you know what? The things you and I so often pray for are things like love and joy and self-control and peace and patience and all these kinds of things, right? Don't we always ask for that, right? God, I want to be more loving. God, I want to be more joyful. Guess what? That's a part of God's holiness. Those are the things that make him holy, the things that make him separate. And you know what? When you and I are going through these hardships, going through the ashes of our lives, He's at work saying, all right, I'm making you more holy. You know, in the prayer time today, several people prayed something along the lines of, God, make us more like you. Make us more like Jesus. Do you know how that happens? It's so often in the ashes of our lives. It's so often in the hardship and in the trials of our lives. My son Landon a few months ago had pink eye and... The doctor gave us those drops. Remember those drops of doom that you have to put in your children's eyes when they have pink eyes? It's like, who invented that? Like, give me anything else but, but that, right? And so, we, I mean, me and Kelly, I literally got to like lay on my four-year-old, right? I'm like 200 pounds, he's 30, and I got to lay on top of him, you know? And, and Kelly's able to drip these things, and it's like, he's just fighting and screaming, and he's trying to sit up as soon as he can so they can drain down rather than go in, and I mean, just fighting us in every possible way. And if only he would get it through his head. Buddy, this hurts. We, we understand that. This does not feel good. Your eye's already a mess. This hurts. But man, if you fight us on it, your eye's only going to get worse. God forbid to the point where you could lose it if you just let that infection do its thing. Like just, I know you're hard, having a real hard time seeing this from our perspective, but this is for your good. And that's so often the picture of you and I. God's allowing certain things and, and permitting certain things and using different things that go on in our lives and we're fighting him on it and we're trying to push back and punch and kick and run and, and he's just going, look, I know you don't get it right now. I, I understand that, but if you could just trust me, I mean, I, I wish I could look at Landon in that moment and be like, buddy, do you trust me as your dice be like, what's trust, dad? I, you know, I mean, what does he know, right? But if you could just trust me in the moment that this is for your good, You'd stop kicking and screaming and you'd allow me to to work this in your life. And that's what God's saying to us. I know you're going through this. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. In fact, look what Paul says in the next part. He flat out says it in verse 11. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, but painful. He's going, look, I understand the hardship and the ashes in your life are hard and painful. You know, I think about being a kid and being disciplined. I remember once, my mom had to discipline me, and she says, "Go upstairs, and I'll be up there to, you know, punish you in a few minutes." I remember running up the stairs and just being, you know, a real wise, a wise butt there, and just saying, "Fine, why don't you just kill me?" You know, and she, okay, a little extreme there, right? All right, a little over the top, okay. But there I was, man, in the moment, just thinking, "This isn't pleasant. This isn't good. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thankful this is going on in my life. How can I see any good coming out of this?" And, and you may be thinking. Well, here's this guy, Paul. What's he been through? Like, what's he been through to qualify him to say this? Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So the guy who's telling us to endure hardship as discipline has been through more than all of us in the room put together in his life. And and, and you can just see that though this guy's been through all these crazy things, you can almost hear him saying something. You know you can hear him saying, this is really hard. This isn't pleasant, but I, I know God's using it. Every stone I get hit with God's using every time I go without food, every time I'm cold and naked, every time I get made fun of, spit at, beaten and left for dead. I know God's using it ultimately for my good. And so we're about to find out another thing that, it's, that this produces. The last verse we read was verse 11, which said, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And then he says this, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness. So we already saw it it helps make us holy. But another thing it does is it, it produces a harvest of righteousness. In the Greek, the word righteousness means this, the quality or characteristic of upright behavior. You ever pray this prayer? God, help me never do that again. God, help me never do that again. Help me never lose my temper like that. Help me never to look at that on a, on a you know, computer screen again. Help me never pick up that bottle again. Help me never to say that word again. Help me never treat my kids or my wife like that again. You ever prayed that? Did you know that the ashes of our lives so often are the times God is answering that prayer? He says later on, no punishment seems fun at the time, but later on, it produces a harvest of not looking at the screen anymore, of not picking up the bottle anymore, of not yelling at your wife and kids like that anymore. Isn't that crazy? No discipline is pleasant at the time, but later it produces this harvest. And I just, I love that word harvest because I think so often we pray this prayer, God change me, change me, change me. And the next day we're not changed and we start to wonder why. And I love the word harvest. Imagine a rookie farmer going out, buying some seeds, planting them in the soil, watching them, just stand there watching them. Stays out there all night, nothing happens. You know, digs them back up, goes back to the store next day, goes, you, set, you sold me some garbage seeds here, man. This did nothing. And the guy at the store goes, you waited a day? You waited a day? No, no, the seeds are gonna be the harvest time, but that harvest time is down the road. And some of you guys are in the middle of some intense hardship. And you're like, look, these seeds have been planted here, God, for a long time, I don't see anything growing yet. He's going, no, no, see, later on, it'll produce a harvest of righteousness. You gotta hang in there, and you gotta wait and know that God is a good God. The last thing it produces is peace. Isn't that weird? Peace, the discipline, the ashes of our lives ultimately will produce in our hearts peace, which again, just seems so backwards, right? Somebody was once asked to draw a painting of peace, And so they you know, did the thing and they brought it back to the person who asked them to do it and the person who asked them to do it was shocked at what they had drawn because what they had drawn was this sea and there were all these waves and there was a storm and there's lightning and there's rain and it's just this horrible scene. And up in the corner, there was a bird tucked away in a cave. And that just spoke exactly what peace is all about. It's not a beach with a sailboat and a a perfect sun up in the sky. It's in the midst of that storm and that craziness, a nice little cave called Jesus, called God, that you and I are tucked away in, knowing the peace of God in the craziness of our lives and the hardship. And so there are a billion so that's, we don't have time to get to them, and Paul didn't either, but there are a billion reasons that God allows this discipline in our lives. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes. It's so difficult sometimes to keep hanging on and to keep going forward. But what Paul's trying to help us understand today is so powerful because he says this at the very end of these verses. He says, all right, so righteousness and holiness and peace are there for those who have been, look at the word, trained by it. For those who've been trained by it. By what? By Discipline, by ashes, by hardship. See, it's a, a training process. Tom Constable said this, there is a real as well as a linguistic connection between discipline and disciple. I mean, just think about those words. Discipline and disciple. We all want to be dis- disciples, right? I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple. And Tom Constable and Paul are helping us see today that the road to being a disciple of Jesus is often discipline. And if you're a math person, you know how they do all those little equations. Well, what Paul told us today is hardship equals discipline. And so if hardship equals discipline and discipline equals disciple, then hardship equals disciple. Suffering equals disciple, ashes equal eventually a disciple. And so no, our our hardship and our trials and the ashes don't just come from people in our lives, don't just come from attacks of Satan, but come from a God who's designing over and overruling and, and working things for our good. And is there a so that yes, there's a billion, and a few of them are holiness and righteousness and peace. And so, what I really want you guys to know today is that God designs the ashes for our good. God designs the ashes for our good. That you can know today that there is a God who loves you. And I love what Tim Keller said. He says this God doesn't love to see us suffer. I mean, maybe maybe some of us just need to sit there for a second. God's not in heaven looking down at you today going, I'm so glad that they are unhappy, right? I'm so glad they're sick. I'm so glad that they're in a you know, fight with their spouse. I'm so glad that, that their finances are a mess. I'm so happy, like as if that, that were the end of it and, and there was no rest of the statement. You know, God doesn't like the suffering part, just like I don't like, I would never sit there if Landon didn't have pink eye and pour those drops in his eyes. God's not doing that to you. He's not looking at you going, I want you to be in financial struggle just for, this, just for the sake of it. I want you to be sick just for the sake of it. I want your your marriage to be in turmoil just for the sake of it. No. But he says this, he permits evil and suffering in our lives only to the degree that it defeats the intention of Satan. So maybe Satan is like the active agent, kind of like in the book of Job, who who brings the suffering and inflicts Job, but God's sitting there telling him how far he can go and when he can do it. Because he knows ultimately it's gonna defeat the exact purpose it was originally intended for, right? What does Job say at the end of Job, the end of the book of Job? He says this. He says, before this suffering, I'd heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you to God, right? That really screwed up Satan's plans because what was Satan's whole plan? Strike him with hardship, make his life ashes and he'll curse you, right? He'll hate you. He'll walk away from you. But because of the hardship and because of the suffering, as you look at the end of Job's life, everything got messed up and Satan's, you know, punching himself and kicking himself because he actually was the agent that God used to bring the revelation of God to Job. Isn't that crazy? It's so backwards. He goes on a little bit more. Tim Keller says, he does this only to the degree it makes us a great person. And I love this statement. Only to the degree that it defeats itself. The suffering actually defeats itself because of the good it produces in our lives. And so God designs the ashes for our good. And what I'd ask you to do, how I'd ask you to respond to that, is two ways. First, I would ask you, to, rather than to kick back and push back and fight back against God when he's trying to discipline you and I, that instead we say, God, what are you trying to do through this? What what are you producing? God, would you produce holiness in me through this? Would you produce righteousness in me? Would you produce peace and a million other things, God? You look through scripture, you see all the things that it produces. God, would you do that in my heart? And the second thing I want you to do, and please hear me on this, I want to encourage you to ask God to bring you out of that disciplining process at the right time. I'm not saying, and everybody please hear me, I am not saying we just go, oh, I'm sick, I guess I'll just stay sick the rest of my my life, and I'll just say, oh, I guess this is what God wants. I'm not saying my marriage is falling apart, I guess I'll just let it keep falling apart, because I guess it's what God wants. No, like like me with my kids, I don't discipline them 24-7. I discipline them for a time. And they grow and they learn. And then there's a time of joy and laughter and fun. And, and you know what? I believe that that's exactly the heart of God. I think we need to be going to God and saying, God, all right, I'm in this. I trust you. I know you're out for my good, but God would at the same time, in the same breath, you know I'm human. You know I'm just dust. And so would you deliver me from this? That's been our approach with Kelly through this whole process. She's been sick for four years now with all kinds of Lyme disease and autoimmune issues and all this stuff. And you know what? We don't sit around and go, oh, well, I guess this is what it's gonna be for the rest of our lives. We go, God, teach us what we need to know and learn and grow us how we need to grow while we're here. But God, please heal her. Please deliver her. And that's your prayer for your marriage. That's your prayer for your finances. That's your prayer for your body. God, all right, we're here. Teach us, train us, grow us. But God, ultimately deliver us and be with us. Bring us out the other side when it's time. And so I don't know what your ashes are this morning, but I know how we're supposed to respond to them. And I can 100% relate to you with the struggle of it sometimes. That there are days Kelly and I are just so done with it. And yet, it's not over yet. And we know there's a purpose. We know there's a God who's over it all. And if he snapped his fingers and said she should be healed today, she would have been healed today. And we pray it will be today. I actually did on the way here this morning. But in the process, we continue to go, all right, God, we're, we're in this with you, and we trust you. And so we're gonna endure this hardship as discipline. And when it's time, when we learned whatever it is you're, lear- you're trying to teach us, when we've become however holy or righteous or peaceful you want us to become, then man, take this thing. But that's up to him. And I hope today you can say, all right, I'm gonna partner with you, God. I'm gonna walk this thing out, and I'm gonna see that these ashes in my life are designed for my good. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can trust you. And we thank you that you are a good God. And we just come to you, God, as, as people who are, man, we're, we're, we hurt, God, we, we hurt. There are deep ashes, there are real pains. And we just need you so much through it, God. God. And I just pray for the people here today that are in the midst of it. There may be people here today that aren't in the midst of ashes. They're not in the midst of trial. But there are many who are. And so God, we just look to you and we ask that you give us the ability to be able to just hang in there with you, God, by the power of your spirit that you would keep us. God, you would make us holy and make us righteous and make us peaceful. And whatever else, all the other things you're trying to produce in us and that God you would just at the time it's appropriate release us from these ashes when you've done in us what you know to do God bring us to that new place in our lives Lord and so God help us we thank you Lord that we don't have to look around and be angry at people anymore we don't have to shake our fist even at the devil today We can know that you are completely in control, and if any ounce of hardship has entered our lives, it's because you're accomplishing good through it. And we thank you there's these so that's, these why's, these reasons, these answers. And we just pray for your help. So if you're a Christian, would you just think about those things in your life right now? Those hardships, those ashes, and and would you just maybe forgive the people you've been holding responsible and instead change your view to look to God and say, all right, God, I'm gonna choose to see this as coming from you and not just coming from you as some random horrifying event in my life but as something that is gonna be the tool for good and would you also pray, God, deliver me. When this has run its course, would you deliver me? from this situation. And if you're not a Christian here today, I hope maybe you've seen the heart of God and you've seen that he's not some psycho up in the sky who likes to torture people, but that he's a loving God who put his son on the cross and tortured his son and made his son suffer in your place so that you could know forgiveness and love The offer is open to you today to follow Jesus as your savior. He died for you. He loves you. He rose again. And he wants to just show you how real he is. And he wants to walk with you through the hardships. See, that's a whole other message I could have preached about this is how God walks with us through the hardship and how Jesus went through more hardship than any of us combined. So just so he could say, the Bible says that he knows what it's like so he could relate to us. And so you don't have a God who's distant and cold. You have a God who's walked where you've walked and loves you right where you're at. If you want to be in a relationship with him today, you feel God doing something in your heart today, then I'd encourage you to pray something like this just quietly in your heart to him. Jesus, thank you that you've walked where I've walked. Thank you that you've suffered even more than I ever will. Thank you for what you did on the cross. And I put my faith in the fact that you died and you rose again. And that you want me today to be yours. So forgive me for my sin and draw me close to you. In your name I pray. Amen.